everyone, and welcome to the show. This is episode number 46 of Pop Culturally Deprived, and today we're going to be talking about seasons one and two of Parks and Recreation on your I Hate Salad podcast. I'm Andy Kay. And I'm Matthew Vose. We tried Parks and Recreation about, what must be about eight, eight months ago now. You've watched the pilot episode. So it's been a while since we talked about it, I think. Was it really that long ago? Yeah, I think it was February we watched and recorded to release, and then we didn't release it until the summer. Oh, goodness, yeah. And yeah, now it's a while ago. Now it's fall, and we're returning to it, you know. <laughs> yeah, as you do. Fall. It's autumn. <laughs> we call it fall here. So you watched the pilot, but why did you never watch the show when it was on, when this was a, a big water cooler type of show? It... <sighs> That's why. <laughs> Good. <laughs> So I'm going to give you some history and production info. No, no, no. (laughs) Shockingly enough, the reason I didn't watch this has nothing to do with me being sheltered or having a childhood where I wasn't allowed to watch a show like this. Um, Parks and Rec actually started in 2009, which is the same year, at least in the U.S., where television switched from analog to digital. And Mm -hmm. so I didn't have a television that would play television because i didn't have a digital television i didn't have a shiny new digital converter box so i could only watch things that were available to stream and in 2009 i don't think television like live currently on shows were streaming yet so i just never got around to it after i was able to finally watch it when did you switch to digital oh that's a really good question (laughs) <laughs> oh, you know what? No, the t- I still have the same TV that I had then, so um, I my television can't still can't pick up the digital signals because I don't have a digital converter box, nor do I have an HD digital antenna. So I never did, apparently. Um, but I have Hulu and I have Netflix, and <laughs> it's wonderful. I just cannot watch live TV in my house. Okay, do you stream to like a Chromecast or, or Fire Stick or something then? How, how do you watch? So, so, you, so you've got access to these things. How does that work? <laughs> um, I have varying devices that will do so, starting with my non-digital Google television that does okay. have a Netflix app built in. Okay. And uh, I was never able to do Hulu on that one, though, which is why I didn't do Hulu for a really long time. Uh, but I do also have uh, a Fire Stick and a Roku now so that I can... Be like the cool kids and actually stream things that are relevant. Okay. And that's streaming services. Yes. And then you had cable. I think you've cut the cord now. Yes. But when you had cable, is that the the box would still decode and and go into your TV as normal? Okay. Yes. So when I had cable, I had everything. But cable is just so expensive. Okay. Thank you. Sorry. I, I, it baffles me slightly, the, the strange setup for US TV. But then also we have TV licenses, so we're slightly baffling to everyone else. <laughs> yes, 100% true. <laughs> mm. I did have a friend once who was like, so can you be like carded? Can someone come and check? You're like, no, no not quite like that. But <laughs> Oh, yeah, I have no idea how it works over there. So Yeah, you, you pay money and effectively every house has to pay some money to get TV. That sounds like cable. Basically as simple as that. Um, okay. You, you can get away without paying it, but uh, you have to get inspectors around and stuff. Okay. So, Matthew, why don't you give us some history and production information Absolutely. on these seasons? So, Parks and Recreation was created by Greg Daniels and Michael Schur, and it first aired on April 9th, 2009. The show was a multi-camera sitcom filmed in a mockumentary style that had been previously successful on The Office and Arrested Development. The second season premiered on September 17th, 2009. It included the promotion of Chris Pratt to the main cast and introduced Rob Lowe and Adam Scott at the end of the season. Like The Office, Parks and Rec received mixed reviews during its first season, but a course correction to the format and the tone led to critical acclaim from season two onwards. Particular changes were the show's new focus on the team ensemble rather than Leslie in particular, and moving on from plots like the crush on Mark and filling in the pit fairly early in the season so the show could start visiting new stories. Amy Poehler was nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Lead Actress for her performance in Telethon, but she lost out to Edie Falcon in Nurse Jackie. So when we first watched this, uh, the the name didn't mean anything to me, but I, I, I've since learned a lot more about Michael Schur. 
Um, and I will now watch pretty much anything he does because he created Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which has become a, a massive favor after I binged it this year. And he created The Good Place. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, this guy's done some good stuff. I will I will follow him to, to, the, uh, to Mount Doom in Mordor, <laughs> frankly. Well, I haven't watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but I'm a big fan of The Good okay. Place. So that's mm. pretty great. I, th- there was a Tumblr account that suddenly started showing GIFs of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I was like, okay, this looks quite funny. And it's remarkable. It's really good stuff. A bit like early seasons Modern Family. It's very heartwarming because everyone's actually good at their jobs and, and they're bantery mean to each other, but they're actually solid with each other. So I like a show like that. Well, I've never seen Modern Family either, so... <laughs> okay. <laughs> Modern Family felt like it was going to be absolutely a giant stereotype of a sitcom. Except it had this mad, just massive heart in the middle of it. It was just, oh, everyone loves each other dearly. But they're just a bit mean to each other sometimes. But when it, it needs to, it turns on the niceness. So that was okay. Sounds pretty realistic. Mm. Um, so Mandy, how were you able to watch this on your many TVs and devices? <laughs> uh, Parks and Rec is available on Netflix in the US. Okay. Easy. So you stream that from your phone to your laptop, which bounces it to your TV off a satellite. Something like that, yes. Okay, got it. <laughs> In the UK, it's on Amazon Prime for free. So um, I, I watched it at various different devices around the house, mainly on the TV. But then uh, a little inside baseball, we actually moved up this recording to record slightly earlier. So I had to, to get a few more episodes in. So I downloaded them to my iPad so I could watch them on my train on my train commute. Because I figured out two episodes of this is almost the exact length of my train journey from out of Waterloo. So it was great. Just sit sit down, plonk the iPad out and sit there with my headphones on watching it and laughing to myself. Um, except one of the first episodes that I did is Tom's Divorce. <laughs> where they spend half of the episode in a strip club. Um, and like things are blurred out, but they don't. It's a, it's quite racy at times with like the girls in their underwear. Right. Giving Tom a lap dance just in their underwear so they're allowed to show it. <laughs> I was like, I, I wish this wasn't the episode I was watching. Right. Yeah. Well, besides that, that sounds like a delightful way to spend a commute. Yeah, it's very nice, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so you watched the first episode. Can you remind us what your reaction was after that first episode and your expectations for the series? Oh, I was not a fan of the pilot episode. It was not funny. And I really had low, low, low expectations for the show. I really wanted to like it just because everybody that I like likes it and it's got such mm-hmm. a great cast. But mm-hmm. I mean, that bar was so low that, <laughs> but, but at the same time, I wasn't sure it was ever going to, you know, surpass that bar because the pilot was just so bad. So okay. bad. So uh, having watched seasons one and two, did you enjoy them? I did. I'm so happy. I'm really, really happy. I did. Um, Once we got to the end of season one, which I was ecstatic to learn was only six episodes, then it was Mm -hmm. fantastic. And I, if you follow me on Twitter, you are getting some of my live reactions, but it's pretty great. Is is there a point you think it uh, it turned you? It, you started liking it, or was it just generally over time you started engaging with the characters? They they adapted and evolved a bit more for you. Uh, Leslie and Anne in practice date. Mm-hmm. That I think that's what did it for me because that was just funny and adorable and ridiculous, and mm. it was great. Yeah, that female relationship, the the friendship. It is somewhat the heart of this, although there's a lot to do with their relationships with other people and the, and the team in general. That really is one of the strong elements of the whole show. Yeah, but I, I, it's not really the relationship that that started it for me in this moment. It was specifically like the conversation and the actual practice date and just how awful Leslie was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you see, I'm laughing just thinking about it. It was great. <laughs> and then... Um, Louis C.K.'s reaction, I cannot remember his character's name, I'm sorry, but his reaction at the end was, uh, it it made him a solid winner in my book too, so. Okay. Uh, Louis C.K., do you have opinions on Louis C.K.? Oh, I have so many opinions on Louis C.K. Okay. If I live in a vacuum and only listen to some of his comedy, it's wonderful. 
but mm-hmm. I don't live in a vacuum, and he's a pretty terrible human being mm-hmm. in real life, and so that he dampens <laughs> my enjoyment of him. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised to find that his character in Parks and Rec was actually kind of decent, which again mm. adds complications <laughs> because Louis C.K. is not decent. Mm. So I'm just kind of all over the place. Okay. Yeah, the last episodes, in, particularly in the master plan, where they're in the bar getting drunk together, Leslie and Anne. It, it's just, it's so nice. They're just completely supporting each other and going, oh, we've had a shitty time. Let's just get drunk. Yes. Yeah. That was good. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I, th- I think we should probably have a brief discussion on season one. I think we're not going to talk about it too much. It's mostly going to be focused around season two. I- is there anything from that season that stood out to you? Any ongoing plots? Anything that you went, oh, that 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 was surprisingly good, given how bad that pilot was? Uh, the last episode of the first season had one mm-hmm. scene in it that finally made me actually laugh at the show. Okay. Literally, it was the first scene where I actually like had a belly laugh because it was funny. Mm. That had not happened before in the previous episodes. And uh, you kindly made a gif of that scene for me. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> it's, it's where um, Leslie, Mark, and Anne are sitting at the table at that banquet to honor her mom. And they start grabbing each other's noses just because they can. <laughs> and it was pretty hilarious. And I really liked it. And I was I was very excited to finally find something that, to laugh at, even though it was something that was ridiculously stupid. Hmm. I honestly nice. don't remember much of the rest of the first season other than continuously being baffled about why Anne and Andy were a couple and why Anne suddenly started hanging out at City Hall all the time. <laughs> they have to find a lot of excuses for it, don't they? Still don't have answers for those things, so... <laughs> I, I think Chris Pratt is, is for me the strong bit of that first season his character is always quite not necessarily surprising but but much more endearing than possibly he could be where I think they expect Tom to be quite endearing and Ugh. I just for the most part find him a bit horrid yes um but there is also the that very last episode when and not when I'm when Leslie turns up with the older guy that she's been on the date with to the bar. Yes. That's the first point that Tom turns to the camera just with his big puppy dog smile, (laughs) like, oh, this is so embarrassing, I should stop it, but I won't. (laughs) (laughs) And it's it's a thing that that is just a thing throughout this show, and I love it. I mean, I love the turn to camera and smile anyway, but the the way they do it with this big smile, and even there's an episode where... Tom is trying on outfits and he tries on a ridiculous one or he says something ridiculous and Leslie turns to the camera with a big grin. Right. <laughs> Great. I remember that, yeah. <laughs> so is that our conversation on season one? Unless you have you anything to, to add, I, I think that's our conversation on season one because like you, you even said this uh, back when we did the pilot, the opening 30 seconds of season two is funnier than all of season one. Yeah. Okay. Here's the situation. Your parents went away on a week's vacation. They left the keys to the brand new Porsche. But they mine. Hmm. Well, of course not. I'll just take it for a little spin and maybe show it off to a couple of friends. I'll just cruise around the neighborhood. Well, maybe I shouldn't. Yeah, of course I should. Pay attention. Here's the thick of the plot. I pulled up to the corner at the end of my block. That's when I saw this beautiful girly girl walking. I picked up my car phone to perpetrate like I was talking. Roof was open, the music was high, and that girl's hand was steadily moving up my thigh. She had opened up three buttons on her shirt so far. I guess that's why I didn't notice that police car. I can't believe it. I made a mistake. My parents are the same, no matter time nor place. So to all you kids all across the land, no need to argue, parents just don't understand. Thank you, thank you. Just a little something I know. So what's up? Uh, someone is on fire in Ramsett Park. They need you to get down there right away. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because I was so engaged at that point. When I when I was watching season one, I was really not engaged with what I was watching. I was watching it because I had to, you know. And then in that last episode, I finally, you know, it was funny and it was great. And then I was like, oh, season two is next. And so I immediately went to season two. Because right. so many people had told me that there's a marked change instantly. And so I didn't mm-hmm. wait. I was like, okay, I'm here. 
And I was immediately engaged. In fact, like I started out kind of disengaged and then she's rapping and I'm like, wait, wait, wait. And I had to stop what I was doing, start it over and just like listen to the whole (laughs) thing and all of its glory. And it was amazing. It just, it goes on so long. (laughs) It really does. But I didn't care. Terrific. And yes, from there, season two gets much better. Like I said, they change some of the characters. They, They wrap up some of the plots. Not just wrap up, but they move on from them. Mark goes through a bit of a change, but I sort of feel by that point, there's no helping Mark. I think the writers agreed too, because I'm assuming he's not coming back for season three. Uh, He's definitely not in season three. I think he might never appear again, but it's been a while, so it's possible he he crops up in like special appearances. Okay. Yeah, he's basically done. But season one, he's something of an insufferable jackass. Oh, yes, he was. (laughs) Oh, my God. Fairly mansplainy. When he tries to help, he bodges it and he bodges it and just, like, you can't be that naive or hopeless or not noticing what's going on around you, dude. Come on. And yet somehow this bumbling guy was somehow, like, a ladies' man, too? Yeah. I didn't really get all of that. You know, they they did that one episode where they were looking at his, like, Facebook profile or something. Mm-hmm. And he was surrounded by women. And that just provided some significant cognitive dissonance, I think, because <laughs> I just did not get that from his character. But then you did get those moments of him like suddenly sleeping with the reporter and, and that sort of thing. So mm. it was just bizarre. And it almost would have been better because they, they wrapped that first bit up quite quickly with him going, oh, yeah, that used to be me, but it's not me anymore. Well, it would have been more interesting to see him evolving and learning, but they're already saying, like, no, he's moved on from that. Right. Like, oh, okay. That's good for the plot. <laughs> Thanks. And then he ends up in a relationship with Anne, and they basically have no chemistry. No. I think the actors didn't have chemistry. I'm not sure the characters have chemistry. It was kind of painful to watch. I mean, hmm. it, I mean, it, it was nice at first, just because... Anne and Andy just made no sense. I cannot understand why the grown-up Anne would be dating the man-child Andy. It, it still right. baffles me. I don't get it. Uh, okay. So so Mark made sense as somebody after Andy because he's a grown-up mm-hmm. and she needed a grown-up and that it was great. But I never once felt like they progressed more than let's go to the movies and Mark is mm-hmm. all about, oh, I'm going to ask her to move in or no, wait, I'm going to ask her to marry me. And we never got mm. to see anything that would justify that or would make that make yeah. sense. I, I like the way it's written that we can see that she's not totally into it. And it's done subtly some places where like she gives him tales of Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not a good present in in any direction. Uh, And then it starts becoming more textual with her, like, oh, there's no spark, and remembering how good she was with Andy. There was that one weird bit, though, on their six-month anniversary where he showed up at the hospital to give her a present. Hey, what are you doing here? Happy six-month anniversary. I got you a gift. Uh, It's a chicken salad sandwich. And I don't want you to feel bad about not getting me anything because I never expect... Swiss Army watch mofo. Well done, Perkins. Wow. So it was yeah. weird to me that his present to her was a deli sandwich Sorry? and she got him a watch. That she's carrying around in her scrubs. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that that was a weird beat to me. Uh, mm. Especially given that at that point, it, you know, she really wasn't that into him. So, Do you think the writers intentionally made him a bit boring or do you think that's something to do with the portrayal? I don't know. I think probably maybe a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you give Ron Swanson the same lines that that Mark had, it mm. it would probably be a little bit better, but still boring. Yeah, possibly so. His, his delivery is is very straight. I feel like Mark was the only non comedian on the mm. in the cast. If that makes sense. Like he was, yeah. I, I, I'm going to say in quotation marks, he was the only normal one. And maybe that's mm. why it didn't work. Yeah. It, it's a little early for this comparison, I think, because we are going to see a bit more of Ben um, in future seasons. But Ben is effectively that replacement because he is the, the one who comes in very sensible and like, no, there are problems here. We need to deal with them. We need to deal with them sensibly. 
even he has a bit of a past that allows there to be some fun about it. And he's got a few characteristic quirks about him. Oh, absolutely. I was like Hmm. 100% Team Ben from the second he showed up. Oh, really? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Like I asked obviously a bit about your expectations for this. Uh, and we'll come later to what you think is going to happen in the future. But do you know anything more about what's going to come for the show? No, I don't think so. I feel okay. like not spoiled by gifts. Or... No, I, I feel like Leslie's going to end up in a relationship with somebody, but I don't know who. Okay. My guess right now would be Ben, but I don't know. Okay. And yeah, I, I just I I really don't. I know nothing. Even, I mean, I okay. did know that Adam Scott and Rob Lowe were going to show up, but I literally had no idea what their characters were going to be, why they were going to be there, who they were, like, w- nothing. Right. I knew nothing. And I think I still really know nothing. I don't know how I've gone this long without being spoiled on the show. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm asking because I want to ask a bit of questions now, but I think they're going to come out if we ever look at season three, which we'll talk about later. Okay. On, on the show itself, there, there's, I, th- I think, a lot of good writing, a lot of interesting things. It's a very character-based show. You, you were talking about uh, the practice date making you laugh and being bit, like really enjoying the, the, the relationship between the girls there and what it then did to her with um, Dave, with Louis C.K. I, I quite liked that with Leslie, they're plots that I think are generally given to men in sitcoms. Being nervous about a date, trying to practice it, trying to figure out what to do. Um, is that something that's intentional? Do you think they're they're trying to write a gender-neutral story, but then give it to someone like Amy Poehler, who is comedic royalty? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. That's like a deep question about Parks and Rec. <laughs> um, my instinct is to say no, that they're just writing funny stuff. Stuff that they know mm-hmm. that Amy Poehler can deliver on. But... The show does lean so heavily on feminism, at least surrounding Leslie's character. And she's constantly talking about the first woman in the White House and like being the first woman director of the Parks and Rec department and then being the first female city manager. You know, so she's her character, at least. And so therefore, the show is very aware that this is a male driven business or organization mm. or whatever. And so yeah. it, it, it very well could be intentional that because they've put Leslie in this in this role that they are subverting some of that a little bit. Um, I, I don't know if I should give the show that much credit given it's Parks and Rec, but maybe. <laughs> given it seems to be a, a silly little sitcom about a small town in, in Indiana. Right. Um, I was right. trying to come up with one of the most ridiculous, like, scenarios from season two, and it, it, they, like, all bypassed my brain in that moment, so I, I couldn't, <laughs> but there there were some, like, pretty crazy things, so. And so it is showing uh, a government function, uh, and people talk about this being a, a thing to show people's approaches to politics and government. Is there actual much politics in the show? Do you see there being much about that, or is it purely just the characters and the comedy? I really get almost no politics out of this. Even when Ron is talking about, you know, his stance on everything, particularly mm. uh, once uh, Ben and Chris show up at the end of season two, and he's just so excited mm. to be cutting budgets, you know. We probably have to cut the budget of every department by 40 or 50 percent, okay? Well, but Chris said that you just had to, you know, tinker with things. Yeah, he said that because that sounds a lot better than we're going to gut it with a machete. Okay? <laughs> That's about as political as it gets, other than in the few places where, you know, Leslie's talking about being the first woman to do something. But even then, it's not about party. It's about gender. Uh, so I mostly just see this as a character show. Yeah, okay. That's what I thought as well, but I wasn't sure. And I think we'll probably see more of it as as time goes on, as the writers get more confident to bring that in. And there was an interesting thing that Leslie's politics and her feminism is very much about women doing well. So she has pictures of Condoleezza Rice and um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Hillary Clinton, and there's probably a Sarah Palin uh, picture up there somewhere. Right. Like, it's not necessarily... I stand behind the ones who are significant. I think there might even be a Mac- Margaret Thatcher one. It is just about, you know, powerful women getting to do what they want to do. 
Right. And I think, honestly, that's probably why the writers chose a Parks and Recreation Department. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, one, we're at city-level government. And two, that's probably the least political you can get in government is just making the parks run. I mean, yeah, there, there are some things about, you know, well, what should the state pay for and that sort of thing. But, I mean, it's parks mm. so um for, for someone who's not necessarily completely okay with the structure of american politics is it city state federal is there anything else that is brought in or is other elements to it that i'm missing i think i would probably say local instead of city because not okay. everybody lives in a city sometimes it's county and not town okay. um but yeah basically i mean you start start local and then state, and then federal. And federal is the right word for the nationwide government? Yes. Okay, thank you. Good job. Because I'm not totally sure. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like they invert tropes quite a lot. And again, I don't know whether it's intentional, whether I'm picking up on it because I'm expecting too much. But things like Ron gets an award that he doesn't care about. And the usual story is, oh, it's fantastic, it's amazing, and he goes around showing everyone. The fact that Anne was the one who didn't want the engagement... And that he was so ready to propose to her. And normally there's the, the, the old trope of the boyfriend being bludgeoned into proposing. <laughs> I, I I like that the show seems to do this, seems to sort of play with my expectations a bit sometimes. Okay, I'm not sure that the Anne one counts, but maybe that's just because my okay. perspective is different. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I come to that relationship thinking that Anne is out of Mark's league. And so what they did perfectly matched right. my expectations <laughs> okay it is part of this because mark is not like jim from the office is actually quite pretty and quite charming <laughs> chapel plays mark is not so it, if they had someone in that in that role who was really charming and could actually you, you'd go oh yeah i can see him being a ladies man perhaps that would have been easier to maybe understand. maybe uh, i mean because it, mm. it's not just in the physical appearance though it's in the, in the, deli- the delivery like you said mm. it's in how he carries himself and even if John Krasinski carried himself the way that Paul Schneider does, you know, Jim wouldn't have been nearly as charming. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a little bit of both, I think. I did see one thing. It just reminded me you naming him because I saw a thing saying Chris Pratt and Aubrey Plaza are not as endearing as John Krasinski and whoever played Pam. And I feel like they're completely different examples of people coming together and, and having a crush on each other. Yes, I think so. Hmm. Especially when you're looking at Aubrey Plaza and Chris Platt, because they're, they're children. Yeah. I mean, they're such children. Oh, my gosh. it's. And he really was like 30 by the point he got to the end of this season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, his character mm. absolutely was. He was 29 or 30, because he was mm. 29 when April was still 20, and that's when he decided she was too young for him mm-hmm. for some stupid reason, because Andy is not the brightest crayon in the box. Uh, but he definitely did not act like a 30-year-old. No. Which is why he never made sense with Anne. True. I, I can see her feeling that she can be a bit of a straight, serious person and wanting someone who's as fun as he is. I always had fun with Andy. The problem is when you're his girlfriend, you're also his mother and his maid and his nurse. He's completely helpless. He's like a baby in a straitjacket. Ooh, baby in a straitjacket. That's a good band name. I should tell him that. Yes, she, yeah. she did say that. Um, so I, I think they're trying to like answer that question that you're asking. But yeah, there is an element of like, she's also quite confident, so I don't think she'd stay with him. But I've, okay. I've felt that way from the beginning, um, mm. from, from the pilot. I never really thought they made sense. But I, I didn't really yeah. know enough about their relationship at the time to really get why. We had some interesting questions from people on Twitter, so I, I, I wanted to ask you some and see your thoughts on different things. Okay. Um, Multiverse Radio asked us when you started enjoying the show. It sounds like that's sort of you know, a third of the way through season two. Right. Do you have any predictions for what's coming up? I think that Anne and Chris Traeger are totally going to date because Chris Traeger is the male version of Leslie and Anne and Leslie have that weird relationship. So Anne and Chris make total sense. Mm-hmm. Anne Perkins. Chris something. <laughs> yes, Ann Perkins. <laughs> uh, I really, really want Leslie and Ben to be a thing, even though he might be a little young for her. 
Okay. Just I'm kind of digging that whole vibe right now, and I know I've only seen them together in two episodes, but you know when he when he came through to save Freddy Spaghetti, like he just had my heart. Mm-hmm. I, I was like right there, um, and and I I want to see more of of that dynamic. Okay. I'm pretty sure that even though Andy ruined it, Andy and April are going to end up together, at least for a little while. Okay. And let's see. Tom is going to try to kill Ron. (laughs) Yeah, that twist at the end of the season. It comes out of nowhere and is a a nice callback to to something we've not addressed for quite a while now. Right. Uh Uh-oh. Check it out. Whenever Ron has sex, the next morning he comes in dressed like Tiger Woods. (laughs) Elsa? Oh, God. What? Who is that? That is my ex-wife. I certainly didn't expect it um, at all. And it it definitely showed even, I mean, there were no words from Nick Offerman. You know, we just got to see them kissing and and like heading out. Mm. And like, he seemed so tender and attentive and we've never seen that part of him before. So I'm kind (laughs) of looking forward to see uh, what we might get from him in season three. Okay. Yeah, that's all I got right now. Nice. Uh, the stubby tech. Uh, we we actually asked for thoughts and comments. His thoughts were yes. <laughs> His comment is. <laughs> he was so excited. I think he couldn't he's... type anything except the letter S. Absolutely, I think he's just excited for people to gush about and talk about the show he likes. <laughs> so thanks, Nick. <laughs> Hopefully that answers your thought and comment. <laughs> Um, Anna MCG said, how did you feel about the two characters introduced at the end of season two? Love them. And I'm so excited. <laughs> it's it's really clever to introduce Ben as the foil for Leslie. Because Ron's been her foil, but also we're supposed to show them having this big respect and love for each other. But also he's her boss, so it's really hard to have them playing off against each other. Having someone a bit more external works they did do it really well in season two, though. Um, I think the the Ron and Leslie dynamic is one of my favorite things about the season. Yeah, the the friendship is lovely. Um, the one that comes to mind is the the Sweetums thing, with him wanting everyone to be free to eat and drink and smoke whatever they want. Leslie needs to butt out. The whole point of this country is if you want to eat garbage, balloon up to six hundred pounds, and die of a heart attack at forty three, you can. You are free to do so. To me, that's beautiful. Right. And she ends up shaming him <laughs> by by just relentlessly being nice to him. Right. About it. By the way, maybe it's none of my business, but if you eat three pounds of steak every day, you're going to die. And although I've already written your eulogy, and it's incredibly touching, I would prefer not to give it for a while. The first line, by the way. Oh, Captain, my Captain. Ron Swanson, a swan song. It gets better from there. That's fine, but there's a, a slight imbalance in that dynamic sometimes, I think. Like I say, because he's her boss. Right. And it's supposed to be lots of respect there. So. Right. Okay. Hmm. And, and Rob Lowe. And yet, yeah, when he comes in, Rob Lowe is, is just Rob Lowe. So he's very, very good looking, very, very charming, <laughs> and just brings everyone into this big hug. <laughs> yeah, for the first episode... I was having a really hard time picturing him as not Sam Seaborn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but by the second one, like, he, he was doing his own thing there. And, and I was like, yep, that's Chris mm. Traeger. It's not Sam Seaborn. So, yeah, it, it is a different character, despite being a political wearing a suit kind of guy. Right. Uh, Gypsy Book Nerd said that she'd be interested in your thoughts on Tom and Donna as minority representation. Do they reinforce or subvert stereotypes, or does it matter? I'm from Bennettsville, South Carolina. I'm what you might call a redneck. (laughs) No, I think specifically with Tom's character, they do a lot of subverting um, because they they Mm. call out a lot of the institutional racism based on his skin color and Mm -hmm. perceived nationality. Uh, I mean, they, they address that a lot. And every time he's just like, nope, I'm American. You know, I mean, they, they did reveal that he changed his name to be more American sounding. That He's just so matter of fact about it. He's like, you know, nope, I was born here. And 
he is just his own person and he owns everything. The thing I like about Tom is they, other than calling out when people do say stupid things about him being from Libya or the green card marriage and it's actually he's the American, he's actually there to subvert tropes or, or to deal with tropes about toxic masculinity. And the the thing of how you hit on women and how you treat women or what you see in a a, a, a magazine that you expect to be that's how men behave and look and so on. Right. So it, it, that that's what they use him for, to call out the, the ridiculousness of some of that stuff. But there's no sense of him saying, I wish there were more girls in this town who had brown skin because there aren't any, so what am I going to do? Right. That's that's not a factor of it, I think. I, I, I kind of feel the same way about Donna. I think mm-hmm. she's just a woman on the show. She's very confident. I love mm-hmm. her relationship with her and her Mercedes. I shot Ron Swanson. You shot my Mercedes? What? No! No! Yeah. That's fantastic. And she's just, you know, she's living her best life now, I think. And I think that's pretty great. Mm. She is ultra confident and knows how alluring that is. Yes. So when when the, is it Paraguayans come come across? And she's like, yeah, I do very well in South America. Yeah, she owns it. Weren't they from Venezuela? Was it Venezuela? Yes. Okay. And then we had a question from at the underscore Becca Ella. She asked, can you explain why this show does nothing for me? Maybe it's the mockumentary style. Please make me love this. Now, just to give you the whole story, Mandy, um, I asked a bit more about how much of, of Parks and Rec she'd watched. And did she watch the other Michael Schur? So um, either The Office before this or Brooklyn Nine-Nine after this. Um, apparently she has watched the whole thing. And like when she watched Buffy, she waited and waited for the thing that was going to make me love it, but nothing. I don't like The Office at all. The people are mean, and I haven't seen Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but maybe. Um, This started a wider conversation at Agent Austin 09. Uh, Part of the reason the show is so funny to me is that I live in Indiana, and those jokes really land for me. I do try. I do find it to be a generally funny show with eclectic characters, but the setting is a large part of the humour. And I think maybe if you're not familiar with that setting, it's less funny. Can you explain why someone would not like this, or can you explain what they are doing wrong to make them love it? <laughs> <laughs> I think that this kind of sitcom is a very, very specific style of comedy, and you have to enjoy mm. that kind of comedy to enjoy the show. And if it's not your thing. Mm-hmm you're not going to like it. If you don't like The Office, you're probably not going to like Parks and Rec, even though I will say the reason Becca gave for not liking The Office is that the people are mean. And that is very true. Well, for half of them, at least. And you don't get that in Parks and Rec. These people, for the most part, genuinely like each other, and they are friends, Mm -hmm. which is nice. But it is still that same comedy style of... A little bit of slapstick, a little bit of physical comedy, a little bit of political comedy, a little bit of just cr- random crazy stuff, you mm-hmm. know? And if, if that's not your cup of tea, then then I don't think any of this style of show would be your cup of tea. And I haven't seen Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but I feel like it falls very much into the same style of comedy mm. based on the commercials I've seen. Quite interesting that you are pretty much mentioning characters as as the whole thing about this, and I, I think maybe that's part of it. This show does not really have plot. No, <laughs> there's no there's no real stories to most of this, and what stories are there are pretty paper thin, and they're the main thing they're dealing with is the stupidity of some of the people around them, and and exactly as Agent Austin said, the the small town mentality. So if you don't like the characters. Like, the, the show has got nothing else for you to hang on to. Yeah. Where, whereas maybe another sitcom, and, and, and Brooklyn Nine-Nine is one. There are stories that go on as well throughout the seasons and that happen that you can perhaps enjoy, even if some of the characters dealing in them, you're like, I, I don't care for that character, I'm not going to watch it. Yeah, I think if, if you've watched the whole thing and there was never a, a character moment that made you really start to engage it, with at least one character, then... You just wouldn't. For me, in The Office, it took three seasons before that happened. You know, and luckily for me, in Parks and Rec, it took ten episodes. Hmm. It just, it, it varies, I think. Um, now I go back and rewatch The Office, and I love it from the beginning, but it did take me 
like two tries to get to season three before I fell in love with it. Right. So <laughs> it, it is definitely a character thing and, and finding okay. something mm. that you relate to. So those are all the questions that we had from people. I would like to hear some of your favorite things that you saw during these, what, 30 episodes that we watched? Wow, it was 30 episodes, wasn't it? Mm. But 30, like, 20-minute episodes. Right, Great. right. <laughs> uh, I mean, like I said a little bit ago, my favorite thing, I think, is Leslie and Ron. Um, I am mm-hmm. shocked at how much I like Ron Swanson. And, in fact, I'm pretty sure I like him the best out of all the characters right now. Okay. He he got pretty much universal acclaim for that role. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, he should. It's it's fantastic. Well, and he also, most of the time, he's not what you expect. You know, you look at mm. him and his brow is always furrowed and he's like yelling at people and he doesn't want to have meetings with anybody. But dang, he's just a big old softy. And it's <laughs> wonderful. And he he truly cares for Leslie, you know, and he wants to mess with her and, and he wants to kind of put some of his ideology on her like we saw in the episode with the award. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, he was like, no, Leslie did all of the stuff. This is her, not me. And mm-hmm. it was wonderful. That I think that was the episode where I really fell in love with him as a character. But then it just kept getting better. Hmm. Did you bump up at all with him giving April a gun? No. Um, okay. I, I think my first instinct was, wow, that wouldn't really fly today. But I didn't care. I mean, she's 21. He's a libertarian. He has a sawed-off shotgun on his desk pointing at the chair where people come to visit him. Yeah. It was not surprising at all that that was something Ron Swanson would do. Yeah. Like, I don't think the show was making a political statement. They were, you know, saying this is what Ron Swanson would do. Mm. And, and you're saying, like, the relationship with Leslie is part of the thing? I love that her reaction to that, it, it's not the, oh, my God, there's a gun in the office. It's, Ron, for God's sake. Right. <laughs> Stop doing the thing you do. Exactly. And, and actually, oh, you've, you've reminded me of where I was talking about inverted tropes. One of the examples I meant to say is when they go on the hunting trip. And actually, she's quite good at it. <laughs> and she can do oh, it. Oh, yeah, she was. Yeah, and she she knows gets the license and gets everyone sorted and and covers it and and deals with everything as, as plainly as they should do. And there's even a reference to her going and playing golf and like she's got quite a good handicap. It's not the the obvious story of oh I want to do this to play along but I'm really not very good. It's she's a confident and capable woman. Okay, cool. One of the most funny Ron Swanson jokes to me, and I don't know why this is funny, but it's when they're doing the picnic with the former directors. I'm hungry. Okay, well, don't be such a baby. I cooked you some bacon for a trail snack. I ate it already. What? I could smell it in your purse before I even parked my car. And now it's gone, and I hate everything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, um... Yeah, then when they get close to the food, he's like, oh my gosh, food, and he starts running. And it's always weird <laughs> to see him run. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, he's my favorite. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly the the same thing, having this um, big, burly, manly man type, but then seeing him occasionally being a bit childlike, so this, the, the run to get the food, and when they're talking about gutting the government, and he's just giggling to himself. We're going to gut it with a machete, okay? <laughs> <laughs> it it yes. works, yeah. Yeah, but then you know, in, in that same episode, he he immediately turns around and goes to bat for Leslie because he's like, this department is mm. not going to run without her. Every department's losing a Leslie Nope. No, Ben, they are not. No other department has one to begin with. Like, fire everybody else, but don't fire her. You know, he so he's got kind of both sides of that coin, and it just ugh, makes me really, really like him, and I want to know more about this man it's it's crazy Mm -hmm. and then the the other character that by the end of this i found myself rooting for more and more and was kind of upset that this was happening was april Mm -hmm. i hated april in season one and i did not like her for most of season two but by the end of it I just I I was looking forward to her her moments on screen because she's the one who who pulls off the looking at the camera more than mm-hmm. anybody else. She does it better than mm-hmm. anybody else. And 
it's there's just so much emotion in her expressionless face, <laughs> if that makes yep. sense at all. And 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 her arc of you know becoming going from an intern to an actual employee, and then in her personal life, you know, dating the the boys, and and then realizing that she has this thing for Andy, and like just she kind of grew as a person through Mm -hmm. this time and it was really nice to see that and it irritates me because i wanted to not like her so badly (laughs) okay okay. why did you not like her in season one is it just the stroppy teen trope was i i think so yeah because she i'm trying to i I don't know that i can give any specific examples um because Mm -hmm. so much of season one is gone from the brain already <laughs> but it, it was just a lot of not caring about anything just kind of being that stereotypical teenager who's mm-hmm. kind of emo and kind of i don't know making fun of people like in the pilot episode you know she took pictures of leslie falling in the pit and distributed them mm. and right there that put her on my shit list and so okay. she just kind of never got off of it because she she didn't really have a point there was no like function to her character until Mm -hmm. we get more into season two and she starts helping more. Um, And then when she actually becomes Ron's assistant, that's amazing. So good. Yeah. So I could, I mean, it did take literally until like the end of season two. It was that episode actually at 94 meetings. Mm-hmm. That's the episode where I realized I need to see more of April on the screen. And it was okay. after that that I started talking to her the way that I talk to other characters that I like. Okay. Yeah, I, I talk to characters. What when did I watch you say TV. to her? Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what would you, what, were you giving her advice? <laughs> Mostly about Andy. Okay. Like, come on, you know, he's finally telling you, don't say I can't see you. I don't think we should see, you know, I was, I was yelling at them at that point. Mm hmm. And then, of course, I turned around and yelled at Andy, too, because he should have kept his big, fat, stupid mouth shut. Here's just one thing real quick. I want to be totally honest with you because I like you so much. But, like, two minutes ago, me and Anne did kiss. What? But here's... No, no, no. Uh, It was crazy. She kissed me. Okay, bye. Wait, where are you going? Bye. No, 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 no. Hey, April. April! Bye. Well, Yeah. But, like, he's doing the right thing, so bless him. Bless your little heart. But also, like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that's where I was on that, so. Yeah. Is that is that false conflict, do we think? Because they are talking to each other, at least, but it's just making yeah. things hard for the sake of the plot. Yeah, I think so. Um, hmm. I guess it'll, well, it'll depend on what April decides to do. I mean, I'm a little bit proud of her that she kind of stood up for herself. Mm-hmm. And she she turned around because she had already told him, you know, I, I feel like you're still in love with Anne. And so that's why we can't do this, you know. And so for her to to say, OK, well, you're you're proving this to me and to turn around and leave, you know, yeah. I, I feel like that's like a strong girl thing to do. And so I'm a little bit proud of her for that. But at the same time, they, she needs to come back and talk to him. Yeah. So we'll Cause see. Because he, he's not in love with Anne. Right. Like everything we've seen from him, like he wants to move on and be with April, yes. which is great. But then he told her. Right. <laughs> It's. I have complicated feelings about the situation. I had to cringe behind a cushion at that point. Yeah, no, no, I, I can imagine no. that. <laughs> yeah, I, I was yelling at my screen. Don't tell her, you idiot. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm. I'm curious to see where that's going to go. I hope that they are together when season three starts. But I. I don't know what the, okay. they're going to do. Okay. You're not like shouting or like, give him a few years, wait until he's in Guardians of the Galaxy, he's super buff. <laughs> no, no. <Okay. laughs> so thanks to Parks and Rec, I now have a new favorite date. Do you know what that date is? What, what date? Is it a Turkish date? A Tunisian date? <laughs> What's a Tunisian date? A date that comes from Tunisia. Okay. No, like my new favorite... <laughs> My new favorite date is March Timber 11th. Hmm, how about June 50th? Sorry? Do you think you could come back today at 265? He's available then. What is going on? Looks like the only other day he has open is March Timber 11th. Does that work, sir? 
Oh, yes. <laughs> that whole episode was amazing. And um, I mean, like I said, it's the episode that made me fall in love with April. And it was mm. like, I felt so bad for her that day. You know, like I thought March 31st didn't exist. So I just scheduled all the meetings <laughs> on that day. <laughs> And then she learned in the end when she's trying to schedule it with that, the new dude. And she's like, come back at, you know, 364. And he's like, what? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, March September 11th. Hmm. I could not stop laughing. It was amazing. It's it's so good because to, to hang the plot of your episode on what is actually a proper character beat of her. I was scheduling all these meetings. They never happened. But it turns out I wasn't. It's so clever. It was, and it was also really nice to see how the characters handled it, and for everybody mm. to pitch in and help, you know, like, the office didn't fall to shambles that day, because, I mean, they even had Andy in there helping, and I felt yeah. like that was, that was really nice, mm. even though it still doesn't make sense that Anne or Andy was there, it was still really nice. <laughs> and my last favorite thing that I can actually remember right now. I'm sure there will be others as we talk. Um, but one of the most memorable quotes is an Ann Perkins quote. I think I need to call child services and have Leslie taken away from herself. I could not stop <laughs> laughing. Could not stop laughing. It's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, this show has some pretty pretty good writing, some good like one-liners and stuff. Mm. Mm. And that's probably, for me, one of my favorite things about it, particularly season two. It stops being mockumentary style, like we're filming this and eventually we're going to turn it into a thing that's put on your TV. And it, it basically just accepts that the the cameras are the audience and they get to address the audience every so often to give us a bit of an inside. Like, like you know, when you're at a, a Shakespeare play and sometimes they do a turn to the audience to explain a, a plot point or something. It's basically that technique. Because if, if this was going to be out on air, like imagine Anne and Leslie watching that together at some point and she says that. Unless he turns out like, no, F off. What do you mean? My house is not that bad. There was a bit, one of those last episodes where she's reading all the quotes from Jack London. She says, is there too many Jack London quotes? No, no. Anne goes, no, 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 shakes her head and then looks at the camera just nodding. Right, right. And again, if, if Leslie then sees that later, like, hey, don't talk behind my back to the camera. Well... <laughs> You know, but The Office was exactly the same way. And in The Office, it was a plot point where they actually did make the documentary. Yeah. Using all of that same style footage. So, mm. um, I mean, I see what you're saying. And, and I definitely get it. it. It comes across more often as breaking the fourth wall than it does as mockumentary with Parks and Rec. Mm -hmm. More so mm. than it did with The Office. Mm. Just because it's it's two slightly different styles, I think, of doing it. Um, and, and, and they're both good. I mean, I, I certainly appreciate it, especially Aubrey Plaza looking at the camera and like her face is expressionless, but her eyes are just like, oh my God, did you just hear that? Yeah. She, she does so much with so little. I mean, she's got these giant eyes as well. Yeah. So that kind of helps. I think. <laughs> you remember how I, I talked a while ago about, um, Gwendolyn Christie particularly acts because she doesn't get much dialogue in Game of Thrones. She has to act in a very physical way to show what's yeah. going on. Yeah. Aubrey Plaza has quite a bit of dialogue, so she can do it all deadpan and just with a little smile or a raise of the eyes or something, she can deliver it. It's, it's the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. I love it. Um, and, and yeah, the, 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 the way they treat the camera is different for each character. So Andy, Chris Pratt, is always aware of the cameras. And anytime anything happens, he shows his internal feelings by looking at the camera. Like he's embarrassed about something or it's awkward or he's trying to get out of a situation. And he's always aware he doesn't want to look bad. And he uses that to sort of fill the audience in. Right. I love it. It is It is good stuff. Mm. I, I I feel like I am a Parks and Rec con convert. Convert? Con <laughs> yes. Convert? What's, I don't know how to say that word, apparently. You're a convent. <laughs> <laughs> there was a reference in that last episode that I think is a reference to A Few Good Men, which just came out and I absolutely adored. When... They're, they're talking about possibly sacking Leslie. I'd be proud to be a casualty in this righteous war. It's precisely because of your beliefs that we need to keep you. You would maintain fiscal responsibility after we're gone. I strenuously object. Okay, well, Ron, we're moving on. 
And that's what Demi Moore does in A Few Good Men when she's trying to, they, they know they've done something bad. They, they've messed up a point. The objections overruled, counsel. Your Honor, the defense strenuously objects and requests an 802 conference so that his Honor might have an opportunity to hear discussion before ruling on this objection. The objection of the defense has been heard and overruled. And she pushes it and she says, I strenuously object. And then at the end of the court scene, the other guys rib on her. They're like, I strenuously object. Is that how it works? Objection. Overruled. No, 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 no. No, I strenuously object. Oh, wow. Strenuously object, and I should take some time to reconsider. (laughs) And it's such a minor point, and I'm like, I I feel like they've absolutely cribbed that exact phrase. (laughs) It's possible. I like it. I mean, I didn't catch it, but... I I, I like things doing little references like that, but it's so... You'd expect a, a, a reference to often be pointed to. Hey, is that a line from A Few Good Men? Yes, I watched it last night. <laughs> Some, it's something along those lines. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, Matthew, why don't you tell us what your favorite episode of this run was? My my favorite episode, I think that the pinnacle of the season is Galentine's Day. Okay. It's immaculately written and, and plotted out. Just the, the number of ongoing plots that turn on this episode, that have some sort of movement that is setting up the next phase, that's resolving a phase that we've just gone through, the, the references to the outside world. But it starts off with a Galentine's Day moment that has no bearing on the episode. It's just a, a scene they filmed that seemed to be quite funny that is absolutely lovely and then sets up the ongoing story. But I love all the way through how you've got all these different relationships coming to a point. So you've got Anne and Mark, and this is the first sort of sense that actually Anne, yeah, she likes her boyfriend well enough. He's all right, but she's not got deep feelings for him. I'm just saying, you know, it seems to me on paper that this thing we have is pretty great. Yes, nerd. On paper, this thing we have is pretty great. Mark is a great boyfriend. I have no complaints at all. Everything is good. April really establishing her feelings for Andy and acknowledging it by breaking up with the boys because yeah they've just layered everything in irony and and a bit of disgust and Andy relishes the joy of life so he's a bit more fun god why does everything we do have to be cloaked in like 15 layers of irony here's something unironic ever since you've been hanging out with that meathead you've become completely lame you know what we're breaking up Fine, then you can't make out with me when you're drunk anymore. Fine, then I'll make out with Ben. Pass. No, he's my boyfriend. You can either make out with both of us or none of us. Fine, none of you. And you've got Leslie breaking up with Justin because she realizes, yeah, he's absolutely not the right person for her. Okay, I think now is the moment where I have to admit I must have not been paying attention because I don't remember her breaking up with Justin. And in the next episode where they were like, oh, yeah, we've been broken up for a couple weeks now, I was surprised that they did that. It was just a throwaway line. Okay. She and Ron have a discussion about it, and, and he sort of helps her come to this realization. And then the credit sequence is Justin talking to Tom. Is it my fault? Did I do something wrong? No. Seriously, this has nothing to do with you. Can we still go suit shopping? Of course. Armani's having a sale right now. Let me get you a pocket square. All right. It's the, the parents getting divorced joke. Huh. Yeah, I don't remember that at all. Is it... Actually, here's a question. Netflix, does it show you the credit sequences or does it do its 20 seconds and on to the next episode? It does kind of both. Like, it starts the credits and then it shows you like what's going to come up next but it's usually like 20 or 30 seconds before it auto starts unless you select and tell it to auto start and so maybe that's what i did maybe i was just like go to the next one i don't know but i i didn't like this episode as much as you did so it's possible i just was not engaged with it (laughs) yeah i just think it's wonderful because it deals with it and it's got john larroquette who's really good fun as the, (laughs) the, the the older chap right um who we know is another west wing actor I, I love andy getting up and playing songs because he's actually really good and his band are quite good so it's always yeah, fun they when are. they do stuff and I, I love seeing either old songs done in a modern fashion or modern songs done in old-fashioned style so that's always nice to see and, and then right at the very end you have this throwaway reference to duke silver i told you so it's duke silver duke can i have your autograph i love your music you're mistaken, ladies. 
move along. Did, did you have a favourite episode in, in everything you've seen so far? It's hard to say just because the individual episodes, for the most part, are not memorable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's the characters and the character moments that are. Mm. Um, but I would probably have to say 94 Meetings is my favourite. Um, I'm tempted to keep a list and then if we finish these to, to make you pick the best out of all of those ones. Mm, maybe. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to decide if I want to like go back and and put like Freddy Spaghetti on there, but I don't think I do because I don't think that one moment that I love with Ben is enough to carry the whole thing. But yeah, and it's it's Andy ending up in the hospital again, yeah, which we've done a number yeah. of times in this show. So <laughs> yeah, no, I I think I'm gonna stand by 94 meetings as my favorite of this. Group. Okay. Is there anything else that we need to talk about seasons one and season two of Parks and Rec? I'm not sure anything more on these seasons, but do you want to, our next TV episode, do you want it to be season three of Parks and Rec? Uh, well, I am definitely watching season three of Parks and Rec, so <laughs> <laughs> might as well. <laughs> so we're going to crack on with these. Okay. I think so, yeah. Okay, so we're, we're covering season three next time. There's a couple of things that I'm personally going to be looking out for um, that I wanted to mention to you to look out for as well. Amy Poehler was pregnant at the end of season two. What? She was pregnant. She. They decided not to write it in. Oh, no, there is something we need to discuss. What they did, because they were expecting not to be delayed until January. They're expecting the, the September, October premiere date. So they filmed the first six episodes of season three at the end of season two. Because I think that's what like Rob Lowe was contracted for. Okay. So they they just wrote them and filmed them all together. So Amy Poehler is getting quite heavily pregnant for the first first few episodes of season three. And I think it's the episode Time Capsule I read was the last one they filmed. Because that was expected to be a prop heavy episode. So I'm going to be watching out to see like how they hide Amy Poehler standing behind things as she talks and being shot from the shoulders upwards. (laughs) Okay, I will look for that. What I forgot to mention. The one thing that we should probably mention with it this season is this show is amazing with guest stars. Like every episode or two, there is someone like, oh, hey, it's Justin Theroux. Hey, it's Louis C.K. Hey, it's Megan Mullally. And Andy Samberg. Yeah, you're going to have to speak up because I can't really hear you right now. <laughs> Andy Samberg, the only thing I've really seen him in is a film called Popstar and Brooklyn Nine-Nine, so... I'm not sure what else. Is he an SNL guy? Oh, yeah. Saturday Night Live. He, oh, he was one of the members of the Lonely Island, which is the music oh, of course. video group. <laughs> the music video group that does things. Okay. Um, oh, they did Thing in a Box, didn't they? They did, yes. Did you see me saying Thing in a Box? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never actually seen any of these movies that, that he's been in. So I think I just know him from Saturday Night Live clubs. Pop star Never Stop Never Stopping is good for like 20 minutes. And then it's not. (laughs) It's a really good idea for sketch. (laughs) Oh, he was also in Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, which I haven't seen, but I remember seeing like lots Mm. of trailers and stuff for it. Yeah, there's just, I've just brought up the list and there's so many people. There's Fred Armisen, Paul Shear, so the people who've become a bit bigger since this as well. Right. Uh, John John Larroquette we mentioned. And of course, Will Arnett is in this. Oh, yes. <laughs> Who is Amy Poehler's husband and the father of her children at this point. <laughs> not oh, anymore. Ca- He's not the partner anymore. But... So bad. Terrible, isn't it? And and it's really strange having watched Bojack Horseman. I can now can't unhear Bojack Horseman when I see Will on it. <laughs> oh, I didn't know he did that. Mm. Cause He's the I voice don't... of the main character. So it's yeah, really strange. <laughs> and, and of course, Mega Mulali is Nick Offman's wife. Yeah, I had no idea that she was going to show up in a guest role, and I got so excited when I saw her. Yeah, and and that's wonderful. But both the role is wonderful. The moment of them running into the motel, throwing their clothes off. <laughs> Terrific, because they have chemistry. I wonder why. <laughs> I, I am expecting to see her again in the run of the show. Okay. I okay. don't know that I will, but I'm expecting to. Right. 
All right. Well, you guys, if you have any questions that you would like to ask us about season three before we record that episode, you can give them to us using the hashtag PC Deprived on Twitter, or you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash eloquent gushing, or you can email us your questions at podcast at eloquent gushing.com. You can find each of us on Twitter. I'm at Mandy Kay. And I'm at Matthew Vose. Pop Culture Deprived is 100% funded by listeners like you. Anything you can give helps to support this and the other shows that we do and gives you access to exclusive content. To find out more, go to patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And don't forget, we always have a weekly newsletter that announces what's coming up in all of our shows. So you can sign up for that at eloquentgushing.com. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Pop Culturally Deprived, where we'll talk about Stand By Me with Jazzy of Moo Point. Until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. And if I had to have a stripper's name, it would be Equality. Pop Culturally Deprived is an eloquent gushing production. For more information, go to eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at eloquentgushing.